Uh, hey, Peppin. Hum. Whoa, what are you doing? I am emulating the frequency of the universe. 443 hertz. Hum. How did you find out that was the frequency of the universe? A YouTube video. Oh, is that where you get all of your enlightenment? Uh, well, essentially, I mean, it, it's just natural self-realization. I mean, you look into the abyss and you realize that you are the abyss and the abyss is 443 hertz. What'd you just call me? Abyss. Nate, we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you guys could join us. I am here once again with my best friend, Nathan Pepin. How's it going today, Pepin? Yo, yo, I am doing well. How about you yourself, Meter? I was doing great until you called me an abyss. I mean, we're all the abyss, right? No. No? Oh. See, you stare into the abyss and it stares back at you, not you are it. Well, everything is connected, right? We're all one. Okay. You're on some weird <laughs> new age bullshit. <laughs> so talk to me about your new um, anti-science methods. So I, I think what really I'm trying to get across in a, in a bad way is kind of the idea of enlightenment and kind of self-actualization. And there's definitely like a lot of like takes on that throughout history. Like uh, this is a quote that I was kind of alluding to and you kind of made more prolific there which is you know uh, you stare into the abyss and the, uh, the abyss stares back into you uh which uh, was that warner it's not warner heisenberg no who was it it was uh some famous philosopher and he actually came up with that quote because he joined the war just to test his mental fortitude and try to find himself essentially and then th that's the realization he came to and then it i think Nietzsche. Uh, I don't. I don't think that was Nietzsche. I think that was a guy that was inspired I'm by Nietzsche. Looking at it on Google. Are you sure? Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, I trust BrainyQuote.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think you're right because Nietzsche said that this guy was inspired by Nietzsche and you know went to the war to see if what Nietzsche said was right. And that guy, I think, is the same guy that came up with the theory that uh, he he came up with a mathematical formula to prove that you can't derive all mathematical formulas. Why not? Uh, it, it, it's it's complicated. I, I don't understand it myself. But really, actually, goes into like a Turing machine because if you have a Turing machine, that Turing machine has to be able to reproduce a Turing machine itself and the anti-Turing machine. So it gets into the logical paradoxes, and hmm. you know, eventually you conclude that you can't have a machine that can do everything. But what does that mean for my self-actualization and enlightenment? Well. The question is, can you actually self-actualize yourself? Is that something you're capable of? Is that something everyone's capable of? And what does it even mean? That's a great question. So from your perspective, uh, when you've kind of seen the subject, what has been your thoughts on it? On self-actualization? Yeah, we could say self-actualization, uh, enlightenment, anything like that, like kind of discovering yourself or uh, seeing things for how they actually are. Um, I feel like it's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of like not being willing to accept 
that things are the way that they seem uh, and a lot of questioning is this is this the real life is this just fantasy type of deal um, but I, I don't know that it's impossible I think that it's I think people make it more difficult than it necessarily needs to be mm-hmm what would it mean to be fully self-realized, to be fully actualized? Uh, well, can we can we define that so I can answer that better? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess that's a good question because I have my own take on that, and it's it's still a work in progress. Uh, but I, I first just love to hear like your side of that because it kind of sounded like to me what your view of it was like life without the bullshit, right? Without the the pretense. Mm-hmm. like uh there's these things you tell yourself but they're not true there's like this reality that's there but kind of what you're seeing is kind of the fiction around that reality and kind of taking down that lens that that's kind of understood but i want to get clarification before i assume that to be true yeah i mean i think that there's this you know this kind of uh it's not really uppity but like what's what's the word i'm thinking of when something's like kind of up its own ass like thought that in order to be enlightened, you need to understand that nothing matters. Like it kind of feels like the idea that nothing matters. A lot of people say is like the actual truth of the world. And that I think they take the staring into the abyss and it stares back to mean like there, there is a bunch of nothingness. And once you look at it, you realize that you are a part of that nothingness and nothingness is looking at you as well and i i see it kind of as the opposite where like in order to have a reason to be you don't need to like i think a re like having a reason to be and to exist and that you know enlightenment of why you are or do in and of itself can be its own reason. I don't think you need to necessarily like have some sort of grander massive macro scale view of what is my importance to something in an infinite distance away from me, but rather what is my importance to something extremely close to me, Mm -hmm. I think can matter just as much, if not more, Mm -hmm. man, I just said a whole lot of nothing. Holy shit. I think there's some stuff there. (laughs) Uh, I said a whole lot of no words. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, I, I think I got some of that. Uh, it, it, in a way, it, it's it's kind of not f- focusing on. It's the big thing to say there. It's, it's not focusing on stuff that's super far away from you. It's kind of seeing what's there and kind of dealing with what's there and not like, like dropping back the meaning to what things are right now. Mm. I just feel like people are trying to look for too big of a meaning. Mm-hmm. And when they find a, a meaning or when there's the possibility of a meaning or when somebody else finds a meaning, they're like, yeah, but that's not real. And I just think that's reductive to a point that it makes like if let's say there was, you know, a meaning to life, mm-hmm. would it be good enough for the that type of person? I don't think it would. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a Rick and Morty little throwaway joke where Rick builds this robot and the robot's like, what is my meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And he's like, it's for you to pass me the butter. 
and like that like blows its fucking mind Mm -hmm. but like that was its that's its reason for existing Mm -hmm. is to do that task and i think that if if we understood like and there if there was first off and if we understood the reason for our existence would it satisfy us or would it just leave us feeling more empty than the search in and of itself does Mm -hmm. Hmm. i think to some people self-actualization is the search not the discovery and to some people not searching is just as satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a monk might say that searching and not searching are kind of the same, you know, mm-hmm. when you get to that kind of point where it's kind of about being in the moment at that point and you're kind of living it as opposed to like, you know, seeking it out. It's kind of just like one and the same. Uh, but to kind of go what you're saying there, I, I think you're definitely right in some aspects. And that's something I've thought of too where you look at like this this idea of a meaning of life and you're always trying to look at something grand something you know crazy but maybe it's something that's much smaller and would you be okay if it was something smaller like if you look at yourself on a day-to-day basis what are you actually doing like i'm sleeping i'm waking up i'm showering i'm brushing my teeth i'm putting clothes on i'm putting clothes away in the hamper uh, sometimes I am making food, eating food, talking, being a little disgruntled from time to time. Every once in a while I'm driving, like a lot of the stuff I'm doing isn't really that exciting or that interesting. And then maybe every once in a while I do something that's like kind of, I get some greater value of, but in some sort of like grand scale, is that thing actually of such importance? It, it, like it, if I was to look at what I'm actually obtaining for that day, is that satisfying? And you could say that maybe it's not if you hold to a high regard, but maybe holding anything to that kind of regard is kind of a, an issue. Mm. I, I mean, I definitely, I think if each thing you're doing, you're trying to say, does this provide me with self-actualization? I think that is a misstep in and of itself. Like that's not, you'll never get, like, I feel like it's, it's not a, a destination it's like uh an in the moment every every second you have another opportunity to to be in it not to head towards it hmm. okay okay it's it's kind of reminding me a little bit of the so the like the I, I do like a lot of meditation i mean not as much recently but i've kind of been in that sphere quite a bit and there's a lot of conflicting theories on this sort of stuff like people act as though like there's one kind of idea out there there really isn't and also they're not necessarily like a like people will treat monks and kind of you know buddhist people or you know whatever as like being an authority and i think they have some authority they have some sort of thing to say but you know whether they are the ultimate source of authority that that's another matter you know in itself but kind of what you're saying is kind of reminding me of this idea that uh, maybe it's not self-actualization, self-actualization, but, you know, part of or what one purpose people have for meditating is to just simply be in the moment and to simply experience what's happening right now. Because what happens when we kind of go through our daily life is that we always get caught up in the future or some thought or something that's going on. And, you know, that's, of course, fine to some degree, but it, it's like you're not actually experiencing the thing that's there. It's more like the 
you're, you're, you're trying to like project your experience out when your experience is actually happening in. you're never experienced that in another way to see this, like maybe a, a better way to put it or like a more like a readable way to put it is it's kind of like these people who will go to a concerts and they start videoing like the, the, the concert, right? They're not actually like really enjoying the concert, but they're rather trying to take the video of it that nobody will ever watch because it's shit quality. Like there's kind of doing that kind of watching this and trying to get that recording. And there's actually trying to actually take it in and kind of experience what is there. And if you experience things at that level where you're just in that very second, then kind of considering stuff beyond that isn't really that big of a thing. Of course, this doesn't mean you don't do things in that moment. Like maybe you eat, maybe, you know, you go throughout your day and plan stuff. You do the things you would normally do, but it's in the context of what you're doing right now and not in the context of what you would be doing later in that point. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to want to reduce somebody else's like ability to be in the moment to say like if you're videoing something it means you're not in the moment because that may bring them more happiness uh to and more connection to the moment to be videoing it um that may be how they want to experience that that moment more than anything else so i i personally have never gotten behind when people are like just be in the moment man put your phone away because sometimes that is part of being in the moment is Mm-hmm. Or how they want to experience that. But one, of, but one of the bigger missteps that I see is when I think, I personally, I thought about this a lot recently, actually, that I don't feel like when most people say, like, the purpose of life is to to just be, maximize the amount of happiness you have. I don't subscribe to that at all. I don't think that that is a good way to measure um like the effectiveness or the the enlightenment of a person's life Mm -hmm. why don't you think it's a good measure because i think it's selfish and Mm. i i personally am not on board with that because what brings me happiness could be bringing other people pain and i think that that's shitty and I wouldn't subscribe to, well, if it makes you happy, that's what that's what the whole purpose of life is. Do it. But I see a lot of people say that, you know, like that's the whole point of this thing is like you want to maximize your happiness. And I, I just don't – I don't agree with that. I think it's – I subscribe more to the idea of maximize – like push out as much good as possible uh, regardless of, of happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And – I I would definitely agree with your criticism there because there's this idea uh, actually stems back from uh, Greek philosophers of hedonism, hedonism, mm-hmm. where essentially you, which actually let's let's be clear, like the ancient Greek idea was a lot more nuanced than like it's made out nowadays. So you yeah. know, it didn't actually think that, but the basic modern day construct of that is like you know hedonist just lives for the moment and lives for the pleasure right this second like if something's not bringing them happiness right now that's an issue and you know to go back to this a little bit you know you can see some of this with uh say phone addiction and kind of addictions with like uh social media like it's kind of very little wins here and there 
And it's not to say all of it's bad, uh, but you know, there's these little spikes of dopamine that kind of like will influence you. And whether that's happiness or not, that's another question too. But it's not always that living for what makes you happy is good. Another instance here is like say alcohol, right? So, uh, or drug addiction, like drugs can make people very, very happy. They, they're kind of designed to do that, but is it sustainable? Is it good to be looking for that? Is, is that, is that kind of the end? Like it, it doesn't seem like it would be great in itself. Like if I had some drug that this, I can inject in me making happy, God, no, that, that sounds awful. Like, like it, it kind of takes out any sort of agency of mine. And maybe for me, part of it is I would want to be a factor in creating my own happiness. And if there's not sort any sort of like a thing there, then you know what is it? The things are just happening to me. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like you disagreed a little bit with my my phone argument there. Did you? No. No. Okay. I mean you. No. I mean your your truth is going to be yours versus mine. Mm-hmm. I just I'm. I guess my point is more along the lines of like happiness is is a secondary mm-hmm. to. Um, to like what I would call for lack of a better term is good, Mm -hmm. good versus evil. Um, And that good people need to continue to push out the good because good needs to continue to outweigh evil. And I, I firmly believe that it does. I talk to a lot of people who are like, the world's gotten so rotten. It's so evil. Now things are terrible. There's more bad than good. And I firm, I, I cannot believe that is I don't even think it's close right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good argument, to, at least for what you're saying. Uh, there's some uh, books upon that, uh, kind of studying it more empirically. But it, it's like things have gotten a lot better than it used to be. Like things used to be like very, very shitty. Uh, I mean, let's talk about like uh, how there used to be these gangs that would go around. Or we could tell them like, uh, I don't know like Genghis Khan and his cabal or what it would be called or other armies just go in, they uh, destroy everything, kill all the men, rape all the women, take everyone else as slaves. You're like, this is some crazy fucked up shit. Like stories about how they would just pile bodies on top of bodies and have like uh, picnics or whatever. So mm-hmm. there's some really fucked up stuff that happened. Of course, there's stuff that happens like this in the modern day. You know, let's, let's not excuse that, but I think s- things are not average or a lot better than they used to be. Uh, now, part of this, I think, is just the fact that we have so much more information. So when things that are bad that happens, we get a lot of it much easier. And also the fact of the matter is, too, that there are over 7 billion people on Earth. So the amount of bad that's possible to happen is just much more of a grand scale than if we had a population of, let's say, 100,000. Like, the greater the population you get, the more you're going to see, like, some crazy fucked up shit. And I don't think that's even necessarily a function of just like how bad the society is, but rather it's how big that society is. You're just seeing Inky's quantity of those things. Um, and it's, it's, uh, let me go back to your other point here too, where happiness is an end in itself. And I would definitely agree. I don't think happiness is an end to life at all. Like th- that's kind of my perspective. Like, I don't know why you would live for an emotion per se. Uh, what you should live for Exactly. I'm not sure. Uh, that's a question that kind of uh, uh, beneaths me. Uh, not to put it in like a like a weird way, because uh, this could be taken wrong. But uh, I, I think a lot of times the reason why I live is because I don't want to die. 
Like, like that's not saying that you know if if uh, that was doesn't the case, I'd kill myself or anything like that. But you know, it's it's kind of like this is how I kind of program. I program just to live. This is kind of this what I do. And you know, what's the end in that? I don't know if there is an end. I'm just kind of doing what I'm doing. It's just kind of the machine just keeps going on. Mm-hmm. So then, what what becomes the actualization for you? So for me, uh, I actually kind of take this from a different angle than you are uh, in general, uh, which I'm kind of taking more of a it's a, a certain sect of like a meditation practice where it's essentially like self-actualization is experiencing like your experience on a pure sensory level or kind of on a, a base level. So we have these perceptions, we have these sensations that are occurring to us and what we're seeing is not actually what we're seeing. What's there is like, it's a construction. It's not a, the, the thing in itself. A, a good example of this, and this might be a little abstract for people, but uh, imagine you're looking at the moon, right? So imagine bright night sky out looking at the moon, right? And when you look at the moon, you can see how far it is away, you know, it's, it's clarity, it's color. But th- think here for a second when you're looking at that moon and start picturing the distance here because you know that moon's super far away. Is it a mile away? No, it's like thousands and thousands of miles away. And just start picturing that distance between you and the moon and just keep picturing and picturing and you can kind of see that distance a little bit, right? But really, if you, if you kind of think about it, like your brain doesn't have any concept of that distance. Like from your eye bowels perspective, that distance isn't, isn't there. That distance is being imposed upon that image. And you can actually just see the moon as it is right there. It's just there in your visual field and there's no distance there. And then you can kind of look out and see there's no distance anywhere. Like distance is something we oppose upon the things we're seeing. It's a perception. It's it's a perception that's being informed by other perceptions. And it, it's there's so many different things like this where we have these experiences that they, like we, we see them as something that is useful that, you know, cause distance is very useful, but is it really there in some sort of extent? And I think self-actualization is kind of the same sort of thing there. It's seeing the moon, realizing that distance is an illusion, but also kind of seeing that more personally with yourself and with yourself, I could go a little bit in depth with this if you want, but kind of the self is, is that really there or is that kind of an illusion? And what an illusion means is not necessarily that the self doesn't exist because there obviously there is some self there, you know, there's some kind of concept, but what is it exactly? Is it one unified thing? Is there a homunculus, some sort of soul kind of pulling these levers and all that kind of stuff? Or is it a collection of these different things that kind of interact in this way that cause this? Are these these different parts that, inter- you know, that are there that maybe aren't there in other instincts, you know, like circumstances? It, it for me, it just gets really kind of confusing and really kind of uh, interesting. And like, like, what is you, the self? Like, for instance, emotions. A lot of people see emotions and they identify with their emotions and say, you know, I'm angry, I'm this, right? But emotions are just another sensation. It's just like seeing something and you're just kind of experiencing that thing. And if you have a certain emotion, be it happiness, sadness, fear, if you take a second and kind of perceive that emotion for what it is, you can actually just see it's not this thing, it's not this thing you're feeling, but rather 
you're feeling it in certain ways or certain sensations that are causing you to have that emotion. When you break it down, you can break it down into all of its components. And that's kind of seeing what the emotion for what it really is. And of course, that's kind of obvious in some respects, like fear or let's say stress. When I get stressed, I feel the tension in my shoulders, my back. I kind of start like, you know, uh, closing my eyes a little bit, you know, kind of squinting, whatever. There's all these different little symptoms there. And you can say there's that general emotion of stress, but are you stringing stress for what it actually is? And for me, part of that self-alexalization is kind of breaking it down into its components. And that's a very long tirade, but I let you try to respond to that. I just gen- genuinely disagree with you. I, I get I get what you're getting at, mm-hmm. but I think that by I think you're doing a disservice to a thing by breaking it down into its parts because a thing is greater than the sum of its parts. Like it's it's a it's a bigger thing. So you have all of these, you know, physical attributes that make up fear and how you experience fear but fear is something bigger than just those things and when you put them together it is a bigger thing than these things are by themselves hmm. so do you i'm trying to think of a response to that because I, I think my initial idea here is that what you're saying it's not necessarily incompatible with what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And an example I have with this is think of like a computer, right? So a, a big part of understanding how computers work is kind of looking at, say, the physics of it, right? Because computers are very based on physics, transistors, you know, uh, electrons bridging certain quantum mechanical gaps. They can go up to like another level of binary logic gates and that sort of stuff. And you know, building up the components, RAM, CPUs, uh, graphics processing units. And then you kind of get to like I say, uh, you know, a basic uh, operating system level, and you can kind of go beyond that to like a operating system, a kernel. Then you have to GUI, all these different things, all these different layers of abstractions, and all those are kind of based upon and built on like these layers is composed of, right? But am I gonna say that uh, like you can, you can break down, let's say Counter Strike Go or some other sort of game you're playing? into its constituent components and kind of understand how they operate and how they work. And I think there's a lot to be gained from that, but does that really mean you're not getting that much enjoyment out of it? Like, I, I don't I don't think that's the case. I think they're compatible. I think your experience of the thing and understanding the components of what it is, what's, what's comprised of, are they can be one and the same. Like, like there, there's, there's no, like, separation here. It's not like you're not experiencing the joy from that game because you understand what its components are, or let's say it's a sadness. It doesn't mean you don't feel sad. You're not dissociating from that, but rather you're kind of acknowledging what the thing is and experience it on a maybe a uh, four level. I, I just, I feel that it is, is reductive to the thing in and of itself to say it is a, a bunch of things. And that I, I feel like there's, something intangible something maybe indescribable that makes a thing bigger than just a list of things that it is mm-hmm. C- can you give me an example here um i don't know can i uh i i feel like i feel like at any point you could say you know any mm-hmm. any physical thing 
is, you know, a, like uh, a computer is a graphics card and a fan and blah, blah, blah. So it has these parts, right? And each of those parts has parts and each of those parts has parts. And you can break it down to the point where you say everything in the universe mm -hmm. is the same God particle, the tiniest little bit that we haven't even discovered yet, we don't even understand, just repeated indefinitely, mm -hmm. infinitely. Yep. Everything is a God, is the tiniest God particle. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true, though. I think it's more than just that. Mm -hmm. And I think to say, to like break everything down is doing a disservice to the thing itself. And I, I think that saying... I get that you're saying that they don't have to be separate, that you can say it is a computer and it is also God particles. And part of being a computer is that it's God particles all put together and that it's a fan and that it can do this thing and that all of those things do make up the thing. But I think when you take, I think a list of things about a thing and the thing, even if this list is complete, are different. Mm -hmm. So let me let me try to repeat this back and see if I understand. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's say you were to take something like let's take sadness, right? You know, mm -hmm. sadness is kind of hard to define, but we all know what it is, right? Yeah. So, so let's say you're a scientist and you try to take the constituents of sadness, you break it down to what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And then you know, this is kind of abstract here, but let's say you kind of break it down into like the chemicals, you know, the neurology, all the stuff that happens, and you can kind of contain it all within this say uh, this compendium information here. Uh, what and then you essentially have a recipe, right? So then theoretically, you could take that recipe, build it back up, and then you get sadness. What your mm -hmm. argument is is if you have that recipe, even if it accounts for all the factors there, when you build it back together, it's not the same thing. There's still right. something missing. Yes. Okay. Uh, that thing that is missing, where would you say that is missing from? It, it, I think would be my question. Uh, context. Context? Um, the, the context and the generation of the thing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I, I feel like there's... I feel like nothing comes from nothing. So in order for something to be born, in order for something to exist, it needs to be created of other things. And if that is, and I feel like it's bigger than just material. I feel like there is some sort of universal consciousness for lack of a, any sort mm -hmm. of a term that creates and that without that, the thing isn't the same as the thing. Artificial sadness is not the same as a naturally generated sadness. There is mm. that difference between them in its generation. I see. It, it could just, this uh, thing, that collective consciousness or whatever it might be, could that be like a equivocated to like a soul of some aspect or analogous? A, a soul or a God, if you want to take some sort of a active approach, mm -hmm. But I think it could be completely passive too in, you know, this begets this begets this in a natural sense in a way that uh, a rock rolling down a hill is going to continue to go end over end regardless. Like the, the, the motion has already been started mm -hmm. and the motion is in and of itself a part of the thing. 
Mm-hmm. So is it lineage in some degree? It in in some degree, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know, just like a person isn't like I am. I am not just this physical thing and all of the parts and you know you take the chemicals you take even if you take my train of consciousness as it currently is i am not that i am also the past and i am all, i i'm also the past i am also um in a in a really perverse way the future like it, it is all of these things together that make the concept of me and i think to just take it to its physical parts without taking its lineage without taking inception um, and its motion, I think it is, is a disservice. Mm-hmm. So I think you bring up an interesting point there, which is especially with humans, uh, like looking at a human and describing it or kind of, it's hard to talk about a human without also describing their past, you know, who they are right now, but also who they could be. Right. And a lot of times we talk about people like, oh, they're a great person. Like, that doesn't just mean that they're great right this second, but also means they're great and they have the capacity to still be great in the future or do these things. Like, a person's often containing multiple tenses within their description or their kind of uh, perception. And I I think that is definitely true there. Uh, I I think, I I mean, I have one question I could ask here, Mm -hmm. but do you think that maybe self-discovery or realization would be kind of analyzing or seeing that that part that can't be deconstructed that parts is there regardless or am i am i grasping a straw there i don't know that it's graspable Mm -hmm. i don't i think i think there's an impossible intangible uh, inconceivable nature to all things that makes it what it is Mm -hmm. and i I don't know that it's definable or capturable i don't think you can bottle that specific like what i don't think you can completely encapsulate anything Mm -hmm. i think it's just impossible in and of itself Mm -hmm. Hmm. okay okay which which kind of funny because that kind of goes back to i think our initial topic discussion of like that mathematician i mean because i brought it up the mathematician guy who came up with a theorem that you can't prove all things you know you know you can't prove all mathematical theorems or something like that so that's kind of an aspect of that where i think there is an aspect of truth to that like you can't fully know it because it might be something which is not knowable itself and Mm. I, i i i still have more a compatibilist kind of viewpoint which is that you can break something down and build it back up. And essentially, when you build it back up, if you had like a, or let's, let's say you just make a clone of it. Let's say you have some special God power and you just take like you as you are right now, create a clone, like there's no difference between you and that clone because the material, you know, reality of those two situations are the same. Like you're going to behave the exact same th- way over here as you did over here. There's no mm-hmm. difference there. Uh, whereas your argument is more that there would be some difference there because there's an aspect of soul. It's just lack of a better word for what you're describing. But there's also something that can't be... It, uh, like There's something that's not being accounted for in that material aspect. 
Yeah. I mean, if you have me and a clone of me right here, like there is a difference between us because that's a clone. Uh-huh. And that's part of it. Even if you can't, you can't, like, there is an irrecreatable part of everything. Like, you you can't recreate something exactly because it will always be that a recreation of another thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the context you're talking about, like, where yeah. there's always this, this thing with that context and that lineage. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think we should definitely end this discussion here. That way we can break it up in two parts. Uh, yeah, this is happening in post, but whatever. So, hey, next time on We Need to Talk, we have part two of our discussion on uh, consciousness, mindfulness, uh, self-actualization. I don't know, a lot of heady topics. So, hey, guys, next time, We Need to Talk. <laughs>